Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I hope you have such a good experience here today. You cannot help yourself. You just got to come back. Uh, if you're a part of the Golden Corner family, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. Uh, I love preaching to you. and You make preaching fun. Uh, most Sundays, most Sundays, you make preaching fun. Today I want to share the fifth sermon in a sermon series entitled Getting Tough with Temptation. I want to remind you of something, that in this entire series, I'm talking to you about your personal enemy. You got it? Your personal enemy, the devil. And I'm sharing things with you that he does not want you to know. I mean, I'm disclosing his trade secrets. So you don't think for a moment that he wouldn't just let me do that, do you? Uh, he is going to counter that. He's going to try. He, you know, if he couldn't keep you from coming, he has a plan B. And that is to keep you from hearing and getting what I'm sharing with you. He's going to try to distract you, I'm sure. Right here, he's going to put the crazy thoughts in your head. And I gotta be, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. It's time for a confessional. I'm distracted today. I've got my minds being pulled in so many different directions. And, and maybe yours is. If not, it probably will be before the sermon's over. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray this little prayer in the privacy of your heart. God, help me get this. you pray it pray it god help me get this and if you find your mind straying just pause, take a mental time out and go god whoa help me rein things back in help me get this now if he, if he can't distract you from within he's going to try to distract you from without so i'm going to encourage you to do something don't be a distraction to your neighbor matter of fact pray this little prayer right now god help my neighbor get this I want us to begin by reading some verses from the New Testament book of James, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. And these verses are going to sound familiar. We've been over them once before in this series. But I want to read them again because I think they're at the heart of everything we're talking about. You ready? James said, James chapter 1, verse 13, And remember, when, not if, when you are being tempted, uh, we've all been tempted in the past. No newsflash here. We're going to be tempted again in the future. When you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And get this, he never tempts anyone else. So temptation doesn't come from God. Then where does it come from? James says temptation comes from our own desires. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation. That's my favorite translation. If I had read from the New International Version, which is also a great translation, it actually adds a word here. It adds an adjective. And the scripture says, temptation comes from our own evil desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when the sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I want you to look at, I want you to notice an evolution that is described in those verses. 
according to James, evil desires can evolve into sinful actions. And according to James, evil or sinful actions can evolve into sinful habits. And sinful habits will evolve into death and devastation. Did you catch that? If a person allows this complete evolution to take place, evil desires become sinful actions, sinful actions become sinful habits, sinful habits evolve into death. If that evolution is allowed to take place, what will that look like? What would that look like? This morning I'm going to share a story with you that's found in the Old Testament book of Genesis 34 that that very clearly, I think, illustrates the evolution that James just described for us in those few verses. Our story centers around a family. The head of the family was a man named Jacob. At this point in his life, he had four wives. One named Leah. He had, at this point, 11 sons. And he had one little girl. He had a daughter named Dinah. And Leah was her mother. Jacob was incredibly wealthy. Filthy rich. I mean, he was a man of such means, he couldn't have spent it all in his lifetime. And he relocated his family, and they settled just outside a city called Shechem. Jacob actually purchased a parcel of land from Hamor, king of Shechem. And that's where they pitched their tents, and that's where he was going to raise his family. Now, Jacob and his family, they were in a covenant relationship with God, the true God, our God. And the men bore an outward sign attesting to the fact that we are in a covenant relationship with God, a physical sign, and the sign was circumcision. Now, the citizens of Shechem, they weren't in a covenant relationship with God. They were pagans. They didn't worship the true God, but they did worship a collection of false gods. And so Jacob and his family are living right outside of town. Well, can you imagine being Dinah? You're the only girl in the house with 11 brothers. huh? Ten older brothers. I think her mom looked at her one day and said she desperately needs some female companionship. So she planned a mother-daughter day and told her, Dinah, in the morning, let's go into town. And let's just have a, a big day to ourselves. You know, hopefully you can meet some of the young women who live in the city and you can begin to... Maybe establish some relationships with them. You know, I don't know what they had on their agenda, but I believe the morning was greeted with a lot of excitement. And uh, maybe their agenda consisted of going first to Starbucks. Let's get a latte, sit around, we'll talk, we'll catch up. We're going to do some shopping together. We'll have lunch, some little deli, and maybe take in a matinee. And 
And hopefully you can meet some young women that you like and y'all can become friends. And so they, they get into town. They're having a big time. There's a guy there named Shechem. You say, no, wait a minute. The town's named Shechem. Well, the guy's name was Shechem, too. He was Shechem from Shechem. So I don't know how confusing that would be. You say, hey, man, what's your name? Shechem. No, I didn't ask where you're from. Where you, you know, what's your name? Shechem. Where are you from? Shechem. Shechem from Shechem. And it was King Hamor's son. He was the prince of Shechem. And the Bible said when he saw Dida, he wanted her. You say, what do you mean by that? I think most of you already know. But uh, let me spell it out, okay? Shechem wanted Dinah sexually. He lusted after her. Now, I don't know exactly what happened once he felt this urge. You know, did he go over and introduce himself and say, would you like to go out sometime? What about dinner, movie? If so, she obviously said no. Now, this is the prince of Shechem, whose name, by the way, was Shechem. She must have refused it. No, I'm not interested. No deal. Well, maybe he didn't ask her out. Maybe he just openly propositioned her and said, why don't we just sleep together? That's a tame way of putting it, wasn't it? Why don't we just sleep together? Well, if that's what he did, she obviously said, what? Uh, that would be no. Now, maybe that happened. Uh, and maybe she was saying no, but I do know what happened next. He abducted her. You say, what? He seized her. By fo- he took her by force against her will. Uh, he kidnapped her. He dragged her off. Now I want you to think, this had to have happened right in front of her mom. Try to put yourself in Leah's place. And you're watching this stranger grab your daughter. She's resisting, but it's futile. He's winning. He's taking her away. Can you imagine the the look of terror in her daughter's face? The images in her mother's mind... The, the, the sounds echoing in her, in her head, the, the sounds of her daughter screaming for help, begging her, Mama, help me, do something. I, I, I hear Leah screaming, Somebody help us, somebody help us. He's taking my daughter. Well, apparently nobody came to help. This was King Hammer's boy. This was Prince Shechem. Nobody was going to interfere. And so he carried her off, I guess, to some private setting. And he raped her.
know what the Bible had to, you know how the Bible described what he did? I want you to look at it with me. Genesis 34, verse 7. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family. Look at this. Look at the way this is described. Something that should never be done. Shechem did something that he shouldn't have done. Shechem did something no one should ever do. That's what the Bible says. Well, there had to come a point where Leah had to go home. She went home without a little girl. I can't imagine how distraught she must have been. I don't imagine how disoriented. I can't imagine how disoriented she was. How helpless she must have felt. How frightened. I, I can't imagine how agonizing every step home must have been. And she got there and Jacob was home alone. The boys were out in the fields working. And she sat him down and she told him the whole horrific story. Dads, can you imagine? Can you imagine stepping out and going, Leah, where's Dinah? And having your wife tell you that story. It must have gutted him. Oh, it had to infuriate him. The Bible said he didn't, he didn't really say anything. Because the boys weren't home. But somebody carried word out in the fields and told those 11 boys. And the Bible said at first they were shocked. You, you, you know what? They're probably, probably like, there's no way that happened. That could not have happened. And somebody said, oh, it happened. And the Bible said their shock turned to fury. They went home with their dad. Well, what was going on back in Shechem? Now, I'm going to tell you what I think. Now, listen, you understand that he's still holding her against her will. She's his prisoner, his captive. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think he raped her once and then just held her against her will? I, I'm just going to speculate here. I don't think so. I think he probably was raping her repeatedly. And, and, and I'll tell you why I think that. Because of something the boys said at the conclusion of this chapter. They said, he treated our sister like a prostitute. I believe he was probably repeatedly raping her. And the Bible said this, that Shechem fell in love with her. And he wanted to marry her. So he must have proposed and she said, really? You think I hear wedding bells? <laughs> huh? The Bible said he began to speak tenderly to her. To try to convince her. I'm the man for you. Marry me. She must have said over and over again. No way. Jerk. I'll tell you what. The guy wasn't very bright. Huh? It, could, it, couldn't have been, it couldn't have been very smart. But, but he's trying to win her affections. He's asking, will you marry me? She's going, no, 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 no. So you know what he did? He went to his daddy. Spoiled little brat. And he said, daddy, get me this woman to be my wife. 
you take care of it. And why would he do that? His daddy was a man of influence, king. He was also a man of means. If you got to, whatever you got to pay, whatever this takes, daddy, I expect you to do it. And so his father agreed, and he and Shechem rode out to Jacob's place. They walk in, and they have a meeting with Jacob and his 11 boys. And Hamer spoke first. He said, uh, listen, my son, I, I know all that's happened. We know, everybody knows what's going down. But my son really loves your daughter, and he wants you to give your daughter to him as his bride. He wants to marry. We need your consent. We need your cooperation here. Boy, he must have read their faces and knew this is a tough, tough crowd I'm talking. He said, he said, here's what I'm suggesting. Let's, let's try to make something good out of what has happened. Let's make something positive out of what's happened. Maybe this is the first step in integrating your family together with the rest of the community so that we all become one big happy family. Give your daughter to Shechem. We'll give our daughters to your sons, our granddaughters to your grandsons. You give your granddaughters to our grandsons. This could be the first step in something. You can buy and sell here, trade here. You can expand your wealth here. So, man, hey, uh, Jacob, you've got to see the big picture. When he finished, old Weasley, slimy Shechem spoke up. Look what he said, Genesis 34, verse 11. Then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah's fathers and brothers. Now this, this line right here makes me sick. It makes me want to gag. He said, please be kind to me. Are you kidding me? Huh? You have kidnapped this man's daughter. You have at least raped her once. You're holding her against her will. And you're asking for kindness? Come on, dads. Huh? Is that ridiculous? Please be kind to me and let me marry her. He begged. That's a key word. Because let me tell you something. Those 11 boys at this point read him like an open book. He begged. I'll give you whatever. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I'll gladly pay it. Just give me this girl as my wife. You know what they recognized? His desires now were in full-blown desperation. And that made him easy to deceive. And they saw it. Look how they responded. But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father Hamor. What'd they say? One of the boys said, I understand that this is not obvious to you, so I'm going to make it clear. All of us, we're in a covenant relationship with God. You're not. There is a physical sign to attest to that. We're all circumcised. I'm betting you boys aren't. Here's what that means. It just, we just could not bring ourselves to give our sister 
to be the wife of an uncircumcised pagan. Not going to happen. Sorry, dude. No deal. Now listen. Can you imagine if this man just begged and said, I'll do whatever. And they're going, nope, no deal. No deal. One of the brothers said, stepped up. They were shrewd, man. One of the brothers stepped up and said, now wait a minute. Let's reason this. Let's reason this out. If that's the problem, I think there's an easy fix. Hey, more, you and your boy agree to be circumcised. And you go back into town and you sell that to the rest of the men there. And if every male in Shechem agrees to be circumcised, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, we'll let you keep Nina. And this groveling little jerk can marry her. That's kind of the Hodge translation. You see kind of where I'm going at. That's a deal. If not, we're coming in there. And we'll take her. The Bible said that Hamer and Shechem jumped all over this deal. Deal. That's a deal. I want you to look in, in particular how, what Shechem did. Chapter 34, verse 19. You know the first sentence? Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request for he wanted Jacob's daughter. What's that word? Desperately. Desire turned to desperation. Desperation made him easy to be deceived. So Hamor and Shechem, we got time, don't we? Oh, I got 14 minutes. Listen, we're going to land this plane in plenty of time. You ready? They go back to town. They call a meeting with the leaders of the city of Shechem. And they said, here's, here's the deal, guys. You, you kinda, everybody kind of knows what's been going on with Shechem and this girl, Dinah. Well, he wants to marry her. We went out to see her, you know, her, fo- her family, and there's a little, been a little kickback here. And this is what they want. They want all of us to be circumcised. And, and if we do that, he gets the girl. And he knew that wasn't going to be a tremendous amount of incentive here. So he said, but let me tell you what else we'll get. Uh, her old man is loaded. You give this just a little bit time, of time, and we'll take everything he's got away from him. We all stand to profit financially from this deal if you're willing to do it. And so the leaders agreed to it. They went, they spread the word through town. I'm tell you what, on the same day, every male in town was circumcised. Every man, every boy, every infant, child, every male infant was circumcised. I'm just going to guess that the next few days were painful. <laughs> you with me? You with me? I'm going to guess they're painful. I'm going to guess there were some slow-moving jokers moving around. A lot of griping and groaning. Can you imagine the wives having to tend to these whiny men? I imagine old Shechem would lie there and go, yeah, I'm in pain now. But the pleasure going to make this pain worthwhile. I believe Hamer is probably in a room down the hall. And he's thinking, oh, I'm in pain now, but the pleasure when I get my hands on all that loot going to make all this worthwhile. Now, on the third day, according to the Bible, this was the worst day when the men were immobile. 
That morning, bright and early, two of Leah's brothers got up, Simeon and Levi. They were full-blood brothers, sons of Leah. And they strapped their swords on their side. And they went into town early. They went straight to Hamer's house. They walked in unannounced. I believe they went straight to Shechem's bedroom first. I want you to picture him lying there when these two men walk in. Can you hear him go, hey, fellas? What's up? What are you doing? They drew their swords. Don't you the word the Bible used? The Bible said they slaughtered him. I believe they butchered him like a hog. I believe they cut him in pieces slowly. And I believe they enjoyed it. You know, I think revenge would have stopped there. But they didn't. The officer went on down the hallway and they found Hamer. And they walked in and they slaughtered him. Surely that's enough. The Bible said, I'll just go through the text, like with, I'll kind of put it like this, Hodge translation, but this is what happened. They walked out of that house. Can you see them blood soaked? Blood running down the sword, dripping to the ground. They look across the street to the next house. They walk over and kick the door in. I believe that the woman of the house was screaming, whoa, whoa. They pushed her aside and went straight to the bedroom where her husband lay. And they slaughtered him. They slaughtered her boy. And the Bible said that day they went from house to house to house. And they slaughtered every male that lived in the city of Shechem. Every man, every boy, every infant child. If they had been circumcised, they died a brutal death that day. Then they went to Hamer's house and got their sister, and they left town. Can you imagine the horrible sights that those women and their daughters saw that day? Can you imagine the horrible sounds as they heard their husbands begging for their lives and and screaming in pain? And watch these two blood-soaked assassins walk right out the door. What a nightmare. Let me tell you what. As bad as it was, it was about to get worse. In time, the rest of the brothers showed up. The Bible said they looted the entire town, pillaged, plundered. That if it was worth anything and they could get their hands on it, they took it. They knocked down the doors, they busted out the windows, they cleaned off the shelves. The Bible said they went into the pastures and rounded up all the cattle, all the sheep, all the goats. I believe they had wagons stacked 10 feet high with canned goods and electronics and anything else that was of any value. They had not only taken the men 
Now they're taking everything that these women and their children, their remaining daughters would need for survival. They're taking it. Before they left town, one of them said, oh, wait a minute, I got another idea. I think all these women and their daughters would make excellent slaves. Round them up. Bind them up. Lead them out. To the best of my knowledge, that's exactly what they did. These women and their daughters served as slaves for them for the rest of their lives. Would you picture something in your mind? Let's say you're a traveler. You've been traveling through the desert there for a long time. Your next stop is a city called Shechem. You arrive a week after all this happened. You come up to the gate and it's open. Strangely, the gate's open. Nobody's attending it. You walk inside, nobody's doing any business. There are no vendors, no farmers. There are no women at the well gathering water. There are no children playing in the streets. Maybe you hear the uh, alone dog barking, but you certainly hear the buzz of the flies. And there's a stench in your nostrils that perhaps you're familiar with. It's rotting flesh. You look, and the windows are knocked out of the homes. The doors have been kicked in. You go in the stores. There's nothing left on the shelves. There are no cattle in the fields, nothing in the stables, nothing in the stalls. Every home has something in common. There are two or three males in there who have been a long time dead. What are you thinking happened? If you're, if you're asking yourself, I mean, it's, in a, it's an apocalyptic sight. I mean, it looks like a scene straight off of The Walking Dead. And you're asking, what happened here? How did this take place? What? How did this happen? We know the answer. All the death. All the devastation. All the loss. Came because one man did something he never should have done. You got it? All the death. All the devastation. All the loss came as a direct result of one man, Shechem, doing something he never should have done. You say, is there a lesson in this? Yeah. You ready? Sin's pain is greater than sin's pleasure. I'm telling you, the enemy don't want you to know that. Your enemy don't want you to know that. It's hard for him to sell his bill of goods to you when you know that. Sin's pain is greater than sin's pleasure. What will it look like when evil desires evolve into sinful actions and sinful actions evolve into sinful habits and sinful habits evolve into death? It will look like the city of Shechem.
The pain will be greater. The devastation will reach further. More people will be affected. And the losses will be more costly than anything we ever imagined. When sinful habits give birth to death, life becomes a nightmare that worsens by the day. You say, Ronnie, do you think there'll be physical death? I don't know. I'm sure that relationships will die. I'm sure that futures will die. I'm sure that dreams die. I'm sure that hope dies. I'm sure that happiness will die. I'm sure that reputations die. I'm sure that trust dies. I'm sure that families disintegrate and losses will pile up. I'm sure of that. The fallout of a sinful habit will be catastrophic. Prince Shechem paid a high price for his sin and so did everyone else who lived in the city of Shechem. The males, they lost everything. The females... They lost everything but their life. Sin's pain was greater, far greater than sin's pleasure. And it always is. Our God is a patient God. As a matter of fact, the King James Version of the Bible describes him as long-suffering. When we develop sinful habits, God will patiently try to help us turn from and overcome that sin. He will literally suffer long with us. However, every time we commit our chosen sinful habit, God's patience grows a little thinner until one day his patience is exhausted. At some point, we will commit the same sin we've grown accustomed to committing and something different will happen. There will be an eruption of trouble in our life. It will be as though a grenade goes off in our hand. Life will become painful, very painful. And it would be bad enough if the pain just stayed with us, but it won't. We will helplessly watch as the pain spreads beyond us and begins to engulf all those closest to us. That's a frightening thought, but here's another frightening thought. We never know what sin we will commit that initiates the catastrophe. Will it be the third time we do it? Will it be the 11th time we commit that sin? Will it be the 72nd? We don't know when God's patience will be gone and God's judgment will begin. But we do know this. When sin gives birth to death, sin's pain will be greater than sin's pleasure. We know that. So what do we do? We better count the cost. Always count the cost. Before yielding to temptation, always answer the question, will today's pleasure be worth tomorrow's pain? If Shechem had been able to see into the future and see the pain that awaited he and his family, he and his friends, he and his neighbors, perhaps he would have found the inner strength to suppress his evil desires. Before yielding to temptation, we've always got to take tomorrow into consideration and answer the question, will today's pleasure be worth tomorrow's pain? Before we yield to temptation, we need to look into the faces of the people that we love the most and understand this. Maybe ask this question. Will my pleasure 
be worth their pain. Before saying yes to sin, we must realize that every sin is a gamble. We might sin and have God respond patiently with us as he has done so many times before. Or we may sin and literally pull the pin on the grenade that starts the devastation that is sure to follow. If I could get Shechem to come speak to us. And we could ask him. From your life experience. Is there something you could share with us? Something you learned from all of that? That would help us get tough with temptation. I know what he'd say. To get tough with temptation. You better know this. Sin's pain greater than sin's pleasure and you better do this you better always count the cost before you yield to the temptation you better count the cost and answer this question will today's pleasure be worth tomorrow's pain Father, we pause here to just tell you that we're grateful that the Word of God contains the truth. And uh, you, you just don't hide others' failures from us in the Bible. You, you had never glossed it over. But Lord, you include the record of so many people who were just as human as we are. And you allow us to see their glaring mistakes and the consequences of the mistake. Lord, not to, not to just cause us to think less of them, but to help us. To learn from their failures. To learn from their lives. And God, this morning, I want you to help us learn from the life of Shechem. And I pray that somewhere down the line, when we're faced with temptation and we're being enticed and potentially dragged away, that we'll remember this. We'll remember that there's a there's a pathway that leads to the devastation that begins with desire that evolves into desperation making us easy to be deceived Lord Shechem never got the girl we need to understand devil makes big promises he never intends to keep Lord on the back side of every sinful habit there's death there's loss there's devastation help us go forward with our eyes wide open help us be an, an educated church when it comes to temptation You help us be tough to tempt. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You dismissed. I'll try to have something a little lighter for us next week, okay?